0: Thank you, Charlie. Hi, everybody. How we doing? Good to see you. I, it's been a while since I've been here. I don't remember the exact date. All I remember is Eisenhower was president at the time I was here last. But uh, no, it's always good to be here. I uh, especially lo- not only love your pastor, but all you people. This is one of my favorite places to speak because of just, well, you know, this is Calvary. Yeah, it is. You can give yourself a hand. It, uh, I, you know, I grew up in the city of Tustin, graduated from Tustin High School, and uh, so whenever, uh, when the church was in the other location in Tustin, it was actually on the same street that I grew up on, you know, and so, um, it's amazing always to come back and watch what the Lord's done and see all you people and the great things that are taking place here. And it's, it's just a real blessing. Couple things. Number one, uh, reminder, some of you know and some of you don't that I do, along with, you know, Barry does, uh, breaking news, excuse me, Barry does world news briefing on his channel on Thursdays with Mike McIntosh. I do breaking news and now we're doing five days a week. So Monday through Friday, 10 to 11, um, Our time, and if you can't watch it, watch video on demand. And what we do is the stories of the day and how it fits with Bible prophecy. And let me tell you, it's getting harder and harder and harder to know what stories to deal with. We just finished this last week on Friday. Uh, before all the horrible events that happened yesterday and uh, last night and early this morning, I had already had 50 new headlines to give. That's how many things are going on. Because the only stories we deal with are things that have something to do with the last days, Bible prophecy, and how it fits with the world which we live in, what the Bible predicted. So there's so much stuff there. So I uh, encourage you to tune in. Again, you can watch it video on demand. That's one of the great things about his channel if you can't watch it live. Also, Dave told me to mention I do have some books in the foyer, two new ones since the last time we saw you. God Wants Us to Know the Future, where we look at the claims the Lord makes, an introduction to Bible prophecy about knowing the future. Then the second one is called God's Work in History, 50, Bible, 50 Biblical Predictions Made and Fulfilled. In other words, God not only makes the claims, he's done it. He's done it in history, and so we've got those available if you're interested. All right, the message today is one that should minister to all of us. It ministers to me every time I give it. It's very, very important. And so as a background, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 will be our verses. If you want to turn there, because we're going to look at the subject today. Basically, we call it this, you know, how the enemy, how Satan wants us to keep from the serving the Lord, how he wants to get us off the straight and narrow. What are his methods? In other words, what are the methods of the devil uh, against believers? And to um, look at this in proper context, the sixth chapter of Ephesians, the twelfth verse, very famous passage, but it's good if we read it over and over again to remind ourselves, as Paul writes, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on that evil day and having done everything to stand. Stand firm therefore by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. And in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God with every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and to this end be alert. With all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. All right, this is the, the weapons we have of warfare. They're spiritual, not carnal. We fight spiritually. We don't fight uh, with our fists or with weapons. We fight spiritually the battle there. And we only can win the spiritual battle by fighting with spiritual weapons. A number of years ago, I did a series of books on the unseen world. One was Angels, the second was Evil Angels, Demons, and the Occult, and the third was a book on Satan. Now, the message today, we're going to talk about the methods of the devil. It's important that we understand this. Now, C.S. Lewis once said, people make two major mistakes, two equally important mistakes they make about the devil. One is to deny his existence, but the other is to see him in anything and everything. In other words, we don't want to deny he's out there, but we don't want to see him in more things than he actually is. So we want to get a balance. The only way we can get a balance is from the Word of God. Probably once a week on the radio program, we do Pastor's Perspective. We get a a question on something like, well, why did God create the devil? And the point is he didn't. Uh, God created a being, a perfect being uh, called a cherub, anointed cherub, probably the highest of all the created beings, higher than the angels up there, you know, uh, next to the throne of God. And this being uh, decided to rebel against God. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 tells us by bringing a different will into the universe five different times. He I will be like the Most High. I will do this. I will do that against the will of God. And so because of that, he fell from his perfect position and he became Satan, which means the adversary or the devil, which means the slander. So he wasn't created that way. He became that by his sin and rebellion against God. But he does exist. He is a personal being that has actual existence. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he wasn't just talking to himself when he's talking to Satan or wasn't talking to some something symbolic, he was talking to an actual being, a created being who turned his back on on God and who took a number of the angels with him. And so we need to understand that that this the devil is personal pronouns are used of him uh, personality is there and so he is this evil being that is out you know that does exist that is out to get you and out to get me so we need to appreciate that um that he, there is a um, war going on a spiritual war and he is fighting against us now so the question today is okay what are his methods what is he trying to do to keep us off of the straight and narrow well his goal is to keep people away from jesus christ that is his goal The good news is he's miserably failed with all of us, right? He didn't didn't work, thanks to the grace of God. So he hasn't kept us from Jesus. But if you're a Christian, you have discovered he's still there working and probably working even more now to keep us from walking the straight and narrow, from being that person that the Lord would have us to be. And so he hasn't stopped working against us. I have a talk, What are the Methods of the Devil Towards the Unbeliever?, a whole different one than towards the believer. And it's the believer we're looking at today. We're going to ask ourselves, alright, what is he trying to do? What is he, how is he trying to keep us from being that type of person we need to be? And what can we recognize when we see these problems come? So that's going to be the message that we have today. Okay, the first point is, It's very important. He tempts us with evil. He tempts us with evil. This is kind of a a no-brainer because he's called the tempter. When he took uh, Jesus up to a high mountain, according to Matthew 4, 8, and 10, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. He said, I'll give you all this if you just bow down to me. And Jesus said, away with you, Satan. You're to worship the Lord your God, and him alone you are going to serve. You don't worship you, Satan. I'm not going to bow down to you. Now, see, if he... Tempted Jesus, he's going to tempt you, and he's going to tempt me. We should not be surprised when these temptations come, and the Scripture talks about them coming to uh, to Bible believers. And so, the first thing he's going to tempt us with evil. But there's something very important we need to understand here about this. And um, it's funny after the first service, a lot of people said, "You know, you opened my eyes to something I never thought about." Well, hopefully, we'll have the same thing here. Um, th- there's two types of atheists in the world. All right, there's first of all the what we. We call the theoretical atheist. A theoretical atheist says, uh, God does not exist. I don't believe that God exists. And, okay, well, the problem is you can't say that, that God does not exist, because you can't know that for a fact. The only way you could know that God exists if you knew everything that was going on in the universe simultaneously. Everything in the visible universe, the invisible, everything that's going beyond the greatest stars out there, the planets, everything. However, if you knew everything going on in the universe, then by definition you'd be God, right? And so you can't make that. Only God could make the statement he doesn't exist. A second possibility is if you received a divine revelation from God telling you he didn't exist, that would kind of ruin it right there. So there's no real way a person can say God doesn't exist because they cannot know that. It's called the fallacy of categorical denial because no human being can say that. Most atheists say, well, I don't have any God beliefs. I don't believe there's enough evidence that God exists. So they're called Theoretical atheist. Well that's not what we want to talk about here. We want to talk about what we call practical atheist. And herein lies the problem. Many Christians are not theoretical atheists, they believe and acknowledge God, but the way they live, for all intents and purposes, they may as well be practical atheists because their lives don't show the Lord at all, you know, as they should. In other words, they say they believe in the Lord, but you know, their neighbors, their friends, and loved ones, they wouldn't wouldn't know. the way they live, conduct their lives. And so what the enemy does, he gets us not to do necessarily something bad, but just basically get us to do nothing. In other words, his, his motives are this. He doesn't want us to go forward as as Christians, so he either wants us to backslide or, with most Christians, just kind of be stuck in neutral and not really do anything, not do anything for the Lord. So he tempts us to do evil, but here is the thing that we need to understand. Evil can be done one of two ways. First of all, we have what are the sins of commission, what we do. When we do something we're not supposed to do, that's sin. However, with Satan, he oftentimes tempts us to do sins of what we call omission. In other words, we don't do what we're supposed to to do, and we know we're supposed to do, and that's just as wrong as doing the wrong or the sinful thing. So a lot of Christians aren't necessarily doing anything wrong, but there's a number of things they should be doing they're not doing, and that is tempting us with evil. And evil says, just be act the way you are. Don't let anybody know you're a Christian? Don't uh, you know? Don't live the Christian life, and, and uh, you know, worship the Lord as it were. So, in other words, a, a practical atheist would say, well, you know, I believe in God, but um, I just don't live it. Now, Paul had some problems with the Thessalonians, it seems, along that line. In 1 Thessalonians 3 5. He said, this is why I could bear it no longer. I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid the tempter had gotten the best of you, and all our work had been in vain. Now, again, the tempter is getting them to live a way that's not consistent with the gospel. Not only doing evil, but also living as though God does not exist, and in many times, uh, not doing the right thing. And so we have to ask ourselves, take a little inventory, all right, am I living like a practical atheist? In other words, if people looked at my life each day, would they see anything different than the person next to me that doesn't believe in God? You know, is there anything unique about my life? There certainly should be. But the enemy would like us to live, you know, again, maybe not doing anything wrong, that's fine, but just not doing anything right, not doing anything. And that is something that's very, very sad because God wants us to go forward in the Christian life. Interesting illustration I heard a number of years ago from a rabbi who lived at the time of Jesus, or right before that time. He was talking about the penalty for certain sins, and it was really interesting his illustration. He said, if someone is a strong-armed robber, in other words, broad daylight, they hold somebody up, they take their money for them, or whatever might be their goods, that deserves one type of punishment. But he said, for someone who sneaks into a person's house and is a thief and steals something, he says this, the punishment should be twice as much as the strong-armed robber. And someone will say, wait a minute, why? He didn't, you know, didn't threaten anybody, didn't take anything from him in broad daylight, and anything like that. And here was the rabbi's um, reasoning for this. He said, the strong-armed robber does it in front of the whole world. The thief believes that nobody saw him do it. In other words, he acts as though God does not exist. And so the rabbi said, for acting that way, thinking he got away with it, committed the perfect crime, he had to get twice the punishment once he's caught. That was some pretty good wisdom there. Because, again, to make it for Christians, we live sometimes in such a way that we're acting as though God does not exist. Someone once said the true true test of a human being is not what they do when everybody's watching them. It's what they do when nobody's watching them. And you've got to remember, when nobody's watching, well, actually, somebody is, right? That's God. He's always watching. We tend to forget that. Well, good, nobody's going to see me do this. Well, I'm sorry, somebody is watching us at all times. And so we've got the practical atheist here. Some of us live that way. Now, again, we're always going to be tempted. The Bible says in First Corinthians ten thirteen the Lord always provides a way of escape. And the way of escape would be one of two things of keeping us from doing what we shouldn't be doing. The sins of commission or encourage us to do what we should be doing, and that is the sins of omission. We're not doing it and telling us you need to do this, this, and this. And so he tempts us with evil. That's number one. Number two, he inspires wicked thoughts. He inspires wicked thoughts. Now, the enemy does this. And uh, we've got an illustration, Acts chapter 5, verse 3, story of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that? Couple... Christians that uh, sold their uh, a pot of land, and they said to the apostles, we gave you everything, the whole price of it. But they didn't. They kept back part for themselves. Now, they didn't have to give everything to the apostles in the early church, but they bragged that they did. And Acts chapter 5, verse 3, Peter responds to Ananias, and he says this, Ananias... How is it that Satan so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept back for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Notice the scripture says it was Satan who filled his heart to lie. He put this evil thought... In the mind of Ananias, and Ananias went forward with it. Now, one of the things each of us ought to do, and I, you know, I've made a pact with myself. There's certain things I won't do. I will not listen to, you know, evil things. I won't read things that'll, you know, tend to make me think evil thoughts, and I won't watch things that'll make me, you know, think evil either. In other words, I won't see them, I won't read them, I won't watch them because, you know, enough evil comes my way as it is. You can't help it with watch people what they see, what they do, but you don't need to go out of your way to, uh, you know, invite. Evil in. You know, God has made this great invention. It really is fabulous. It's called a channel changer. Okay? And the channel changer that He invented means if you're watching something that's not edifying, you either click the TV off, or you go somewhere else, right? Uh, You can do that sort of thing. And in other words, we don't need to keep watching or putting our mind and our eyes through evil. All it's going to do is, you know, bring us down. And that's what Satan wants to do, keep us from being that effective witness from the Lord. And so... Don't be afraid, you know, to walk out of something, you know, as times I've, um, start to watch a movie and I think this is gonna be fine, and all of a sudden about five minutes later I go, oh no, I, you know, off it goes, you know, it just, I'm not gonna watch this kind of nonsense. And so, we need to be able to do that. Paul in Philippians 4-8, on the other hand, tells us to think about what? He says to think about things that are true, honorable, fair, pure, Acceptable or commendable. In other words, that's the sort of things we are thinking about. So we need to ask ourselves the question: Is this, you know, edifying me? What I'm watching. Now, here's the thing: Satan can put wicked thoughts in our mind or bring things there. It's what we do with them that is sinful. You know, you can't you know, it can't help if some temptation comes to you. Being tempted isn't sin. Not at all. It's what you do with the temptation. You may hear something. You may see something or whatever it might be. And he's tempting us not, you know, to think evil things. Again, we've got to say no to that. But that's what he does. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 with Ananias. So be, be aware of that. Number three, he opposes those of us who are in God's service. And he opposes those of us who are in God's service. Now someone says, oh, that's good. You guys as pastors, he's talking about. No, no, no. He's talking about everybody. Every Christian should be a full-time Christian. You may not be in the full-time ministry, but you're a full-time Christian. In other words, you're to serve the Lord all the time. It's not just the person up front or the musicians or, you know, the ushers of the staff here that's full-time Christians. All of us are called to be full-time Christians, and he's going to oppose that because he doesn't want us to be that type of Christian all the time. And so he's going to do things that hinder us, to hinder uh, what we attempt to do. Uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, he said, I, Paul, Uh, came to you once again, Uh, I wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan hindered us. He hindered the work of the Lord. In other words, he tried to keep Paul from visiting the churches, and he uses the same types of testing or temptation today. Remember when I was an early Christian, first Christian, I was new to Jesus Christ and the Bible. Uh, I didn't know anything about it. And, I, and it, my life so changed, I wanted to know everything I could. So literally, I went to church almost every night, if I find a church that was open every night. And I would go there to learn because I, I knew absolutely nothing. Now, there were a couple of times I wanted to go, but things came up, you know, I just maybe didn't feel that well, or I'm tired of this or that. And I thought, I wonder if I should go. And then all these things kind of happened at once. That sort of said, ah, you can't, you know, just stay home. I thought, wait a minute now. If I'm getting all this grief, maybe something's there for me at church. Let me tell you something. Those days when I thought about not going and I decided to go, I had some literally life changing experiences because the enemy did not want me to congregate with other believers and you know you can always find of course you're here so you know i'm not talking preaching the choir you guys are here but there are people that try and find reasons not to gather together not to assemble and let me tell you even though you might feel bad a little bit or you know it's if you really think that god wants you to go you need to go because we we you know, need to be together. But sometimes there's sickness, disillusionment, or whatever it might be, or just didn't want to attend. Um, Again, he wants to bless us beyond belief. But he wants to oppose us, oppose us from reading the Bible, uh, oppose us for, you know, hearing the Word of God. Whatever it might be, he's attempting to do that. Paul said he was trying to hinder him, and so he's going to hinder us too. Be aware of that. Now, number four is something none of us like. (laughs) And that is, he makes accusations against God's people. He makes accusations against the people of God. A very famous verse in Zechariah 3:1. It says, "Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, with state Satan standing at his right side to accuse him." So what we're told, we're told the same thing in the book of Revelation, Satan is the one who accuses believers before the Lord." Now, none of us like to be accused of doing certain things. Uh, sometimes we're guilty, sometimes we're not. But none of us like to be accused, like people talking about us and that. It really is bothersome. I, um, I like the line from the late J. Vernon McGee when he talked about, you know, how you deal with people talking about you or accusing you of certain things, which you know you haven't done. He said, you know, you can't stop people from talking about you. But you can sure make a liar out of them by the way that you live. And that's ought to be our attitude. You know, all right, you know, I'm just going to live before the Lord and I'll make a liar out of them no matter what they say. I was um, the other day about a week or so ago. We were on pastor's perspective with Ben Corson. Ben is John Corson's son. You probably know him. Great young speaker, real sharp guy, very very sharp, very energetic as it is. And that's an understatement with Ben. Very energetic, really all excited all the time. If you know, if you ever heard him, you know that. And it's great. He's always that way. By the way, he's there before the program like that. After and that's just him. You know, he's just this energetic guy. And he was asking me because you know about you know uh, about how you know as you go further in the time in the ministry. About being concerned about what people think about you because of social media today, this and that, you know, and I didn't grow up to that. Some of you did. Some didn't about, you know, everybody knows what you had for lunch. You talk about all that, you know, this to the whole world on the social media. And I said, Ben, one of the advantages of getting older is this. You don't care anymore what people think about you at all. I mean, seriously, right? You don't. Because you get to the place where you think, wait a minute. I wasted all this time caring about what people thought about me. Well, it didn't make any difference anyway. You just live your life. But the enemy would like us to be concerned about something like that, particularly if people are talking about us. Or are saying things about us. Again, he accuses us before the Lord. Now, we may be guilty. We may be not guilty. But the good news is we have an advocate with the Father. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 tells us this. Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, an advocate is kind of like a defense attorney. He pleads our case before God the Father. In other words, when we sin, uh, he's going to be there to plead us to, to God the Father, to Basically, you know, uh, tell the Lord, you know, he's, this one belongs to me. He's on, uh, he's on our side, so, you know, you forgive him or her of the sin. Um, I remember the um, late Adrian Rogers. He is the, uh, was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. In 1977, it was Easter time, I was able to be at his church for a couple of days and meet him. And let me tell you, I've, I don't think I've hardly ever met a person in my life that exuded the love of God as this person. He still is on the radio. He's with the Lord now at a program called Love Worth Finding. Fabulous man of God. It's almost like I mean, he, it's, he reminds me of, of a description someone once gave another believer. He'd just been around the corner talking with Jesus. Now he comes out to talk to you. He's just full of the glory and the grace of God so much. I just kind of want to get kind of get in his aura and let some of it rub off on me. But anyway, he tells a story about this about Satan, you know, attempting to. Um, You know, try and stop him or get him discouraged about preaching. He'd be ready to go out and preach, and Satan start whispering in his ear. Adrian Rogers, you, uh, you can't speak to these people today. I know you. I know what you thought today or what you've done. If these people knew what you thought or who you really are, they wouldn't listen to you. He tries to put thoughts. Probably in your mind sometimes. You're going to church today? If these people knew what you've been up to, this or that, uh, they wouldn't want to sit next to you or something along that line. Anyway, Adrian Rogers said when that happens, whenever that happens, he just says simply this, Satan, see my attorney. Okay? In other words, he is the advocate I have. You talk to Jesus, okay? Not to me, simply because he is the one fighting for me. And so what uh, he does there is, the you know, Satan is trying to get us to... um, Get off the straight and narrow. If you sin, if you are guilty, you repent, you confess, and you move on. Okay? is that simple. Uh, if you're not guilty, you just move on. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, you don't let that keep you... You know, st- stuck in neutral or going backwards. Again, we want to live as full-time Christians, not as practical atheists. Now, number five, he intimidates God's people. He intimidates God's people. And this is a, a really a, a huge method that he uses. First uh, Peter 5.8 says, The devil, your adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. In other words, he's like a bully who wants to bully us into being afraid to speak the truth of the Lord. I really thank God very much in the bottom of my heart for your pastor, Barry. Uh, you've got a guy here that doesn't care about, he just wants to speak the truth. That's all he's going to do. He, you know Whether it offends people or not, this is the word of God. This is the truth. My job is to preach that. And he's not afraid of, of telling it like it is. There was a poll recently, and it said something like 50% of the pastors are afraid of speaking out on certain things because they don't want to offend anybody. Well, I'm sorry, if you're a Christian, the gospel is offensive to people. They're, you're, you're telling people they can't make it to heaven on their own. No matter how good they are, they can't be good enough. But if you're going to be a Bible-believing Christian, you have to tell the truth, and the truth sometimes offends people. We don't like to be offensive, but the message of Jesus Christ is offensive. I remember a number of years ago, it was one of these magazines that no one reads anymore, Time or Newsweek, that, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, kind of lost its luster. Anyway, they had their, like, top 25 preachers in America. Top No, Christian leaders. Top 25 Christian leaders in America. I hadn't heard of one of them. This was there. This is a secular magazine doing this. Anyway, now, this kind of says it all. They asked this one Christian leader, is homosexuality a sin? And here was this great leader's answer. He says, you know, no matter how I answer that, it's going to hurt some people. That was it. That was his answer. I mean, it's a yes or no question. But his he didn't again didn't take any stand. You need to take stands on things that are right and wrong, and the Bible is very clear on that. So don't be afraid to offend anybody. Don't let Satan intimidate you. I remember um, years and years ago. It was a long. Path. This is in the late 80s. I happened to be in the audience because uh, a friend of mine was on the Phil Donahue show. Some of you remember him. He was like the original talk show host, very controversial topic, but he'd ask the audience to chime in, ask questions. He'd have these controversial guests. Oftentimes he'd get a Christian on and he you know, he'd put his arm around him and sit down. Come on, you don't really believe Jesus is the only way, do you? There's some good people out there that are going to go to heaven because they've lived great lives, aren't they? And these guys would start shaking and sweating. And go well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, okay, good. And he, m- many of the times, get the Christians not to stand up with the truth. And our message is: I'm sorry, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So here is what you do when you hear these and <clears throat> these type of accusations against you, because Phil would say, you don't really say that, do you? All right, when people come to you and say, <clears throat> why do you say Jesus is the only way to get to God? Why do you say he's the way, the truth, and the life? Why do you say he's humanity's only savior? Here's how you answer the question. Say, oh no, time out. I'm not the one that says... That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not here to tell you He's humanity's only Savior. I'm not here to tell you without Him you're going to, you know, spend eternity apart from me, uh, from God. This is not my message. This is Jesus' message. If you have a problem, take it up with Him, not me, because I'm just delivering the message. In other words, you, many times we are put on the spot, intimidated by, why do you say this? We don't say it. Jesus said it. He's the one you got to deal with, not us. And He proved His case by. Performing miracles, uh, fulfilling prophecy, and coming back from the dead three days after his death. So don't let people intimidate you. All right, uh, number six, he seduces people to sin. He seduces people to sin. And um, in doing so, he finds a way that he knows each of our weaknesses. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul said, I'm afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by its coming, uh, your thoughts will also be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to God. To Christ. All right. Satan is smarter than us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what will cause us to sin. We need to be aware of that. Now, oftentimes people think, well, obviously he's going to get this person, but he's not going to get me. I um, did a retreat many, many years ago, a singles retreat. Uh, Up at uh, Twin Peaks, the conference center of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And the place was packed. I think we had 350 something like that, you know, singles there for this weekend. And I I thought, and and whenever I do a talk, I always try and think of doing it kind of out of the box a little bit differently. So I read the story of the Wayward Son, the Prodigal Son. And I said, you know, most of you have heard this story, you know the story, but here's the thing. Um, Here's a question I got. What caused him, we're not told, what would cause him to leave the father's house and go in the far country, waste all his money and live a crummy, sinful life after he was well-received at home? And so I'm asking you the same question. What would cause you to fall away from the Lord? What would cause you to backslide? What would cause you? So I want you to get together in groups and get some of the three or four points that you think that was, to know what your weaknesses are, what's going to cause you to backslide? It was very interesting because I wrote my own list down and I had One of them at the very top of the list. And you know what? When they went through the groups, we had about about a dozen groups or so. About six or seven of the groups said what was number one on my list. You know what they said? They said, well this isn't for me. I would never fall away from the Lord. That's for this guy over here, that gal over there. It would, could never happen to me. And I said, I bet that's the number one thing that this guy thought too. I'm never going to be the one that leaves the father's house. Why? Because he thought more of himself than he should have. 1 Corinthians 10:12. anybody thinks they stand better take heed lest they fall. There's a movie that I've given this illustration before. Some of you may remember The Sting that was done in the 1970s with Paul Newman and Robert Redford. If not, basically the story is about two con men living in the... 1920s. Their friend pulls a sting on this guy, and unfortunately, the guy he pulled a sting on uh, was a member of the mob. And they found him and they killed him. And so, in response to that, they wanted to pull a sting on the mob boss. But but the sting was not letting the guy know that they actually took his money, uh, you know, from him in in in, some, in, in a uh, swindle, as it were. So anyway, they're they're, they're trying to figure out how we're going to get this guy's money without letting him know that we actually swindled him. And so the first time. <coughs> Never forget it. The first time they get their lay their eyes on this person, the mark. Robert Redford and Paul Newman. They're looking at him. Robert Redford turns to Paul Newman's character and says, "He's not as tough as he thinks he is." Paul Newman looks at Robert Redford and says, "Neither are we." Okay. uh, I think we need to understand that we're not as tough as we think we are. We're really not. We've got to be very, very careful. Seducing us to sin. If we think we can't do it, we got to be really, really, really careful. When I was in Bible college, um, used to work all night at this uh, tractor-trailer factory, and then I would come in after doing the graveyard shift and go to school. Well, in the afternoon, I'd get kind of tired. You know, I'm up all night. I was doing you know Bible you know study during the day and that because you know I had to work and, and pay for my education. The problem was I had this one class in the afternoon, two days a week, and the professor, God bless his heart, but he was boring. He was really boring. And I didn't want to fall asleep in the class, but many times I had to you know, kick myself to wake up. But there was one time we had this discussion. That I perked up, and of all the forgetful things, all the non-rememberable things in that class, I've never forgotten this day, this class of this day. He was speaking on the subject of the potential sin in the lives of a believer, and here's what he said. He said, "I don't care who you are, how close you are to the Lord Jesus. Given the right circumstances or the wrong circumstances, there is no sin." That's beyond you committing. In other words, you could commit any sin possible because your sinful nature, no matter how close right now you're walking with the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm listening to that Think, Wait a minute. Who, and I start thinking, hmm. You know, so he was right. Given the wrong circumstances, I in my old nature can do anything. It's still there. It's still within me. And so to, we need to recognize that. It was those, you know, the people, again, I'll never forget that, at that singles retreat. Well, that's going to be somebody else falling away from the Lord, not me. You know what? Over the years, what I found out, many of those ones who said not me are not walking with the Lord anymore because they thought I could never sin. <clears throat> Look, it can happen to any of us. That's why we always need to check ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10:12. Uh, again, if you think you stand, you better take heed lest you fall. Now, <clears throat> Of all the sins, that all the things he tries to do to keep us away from the living God. In other words, of all the things that Satan attempts to do to keep us from walking the straight and narrow. The last thing we're going to emphasize today, and the number one thing is this. And we get calls like this almost every single day on the radio. And here are his methods. You know what he does? He puts doubts in the minds of the believer. Doubts in the minds of the believer. Not a week goes by where someone doesn't call up and says, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. I can't be a Christian. Maybe I was never born again because I have struggle with this sin or that sin or I'm having these problems or that. Uh, does this mean I'm lost? I'm not going to heaven? Well, the first thing we always say, the fact that you're concerned about it shows that you are a Christian. If you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't be concerned. But this is the lie that he uses with so many people. And he's probably used it on you too. You're a Christian? And you act like this or you think like this. How in the world can you be a Christian when you should be doing that or not doing this? You know, in other words, he tries to lay guilt on us to such a way we said, you know, Satan, you're right. Well, we don't talk to him initially, but we think, well, you're right. And so, yeah, I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop pretending being a believer. I do want to follow Christ, but I have these issues. I have things I struggle with. I have things that are very, very difficult, and I haven't gotten over them. And then I go to church and I hear a testimony of someone who's, you know, come to the Lord out of this. Horrific background, and now they're walking with the Lord, and they're they're living victorious. And I'm listening to this thinking, that's not me. How come, you know, and they make the mistake, huge mistake, gang, of comparing yourself to another Christian. Don't ever do that. Don't ever think you're better than someone or you're worse than someone because God is working differently with each and every one of us. But there are people that hear these testimonies and think, I don't have a testimony like this. I don't have this great life-changing thing that happened to me. And you think, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe, maybe not. And that's the lie of the devil. He's lying to you, telling you that because you're not like so-and-so over here, uh, so-and-so over there. You're not a believer in Christ. Not true. Uh, and so he he does this all the time. Am I really saved? Doubting the word of God, which says if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saved. First John five twelve, the one that has the Son has life. The one that does not have the Son does not have life. First John five thirteen. These things I have written, John says, that you might know you have eternal life. If you believe in the name of the only begotten Son, you can know you have eternal life. If you have believed. you believed in Jesus, you've got eternal life. It's just that simple. You trust Christ. Now, your behavior might not match up with what you should be doing, but still, that doesn't take you out of the kingdom of God. You know, you've, you're struggling with things. That's the nature. We're all struggling with something. Everybody comes in here struggling with something. You know, we'll never get to a place where we have achieved or we think we've made it. Mm-mm. None of us will. Let me give you a personal testimony. The, um, in the early years when I was a Christian... I struggled with faith, the idea of believing the truth of the gospel. That was the main thing that you know I, I had to face, I had to deal with. And I had some real issues and long nights and real problems with that. In other words, I thought, well, maybe what I'm believing isn't true. Maybe this is just something made up. Maybe this is nonsense and I'm fooling myself. And let me tell you, Satan whispered in my ear, put me in front of professors and people like that that said that sort of thing. And uh, it it was really devastating to me for an awful long time. Well, what happened was is this. The Lord turned that all around where my biggest weakness became my greatest strength. And I'm a living testimony of that. He can do that with you, too. I um, was weak in that area, but let me tell you this right now. If someone would tell me me or try to tell me that God does not exist or there's no evidence for that, I I mean, I wouldn't laugh in their face, but literally inside I would. Because now, after being, you know, next year will be 50 years I've been with the Lord, and knowing the evidence, knowing the facts, it is mind-boggling, mind-boggling the things that are out there. And the program I do, Breaking News, probably two or three times a week, I go through, you know, what's going on, and I relate it to what the Bible says the world's going to be like in the last days. Minutely, precisely like this. And I always say this, you can't make this sort of stuff up. Here's 2,500 years ago. A biblical prophet said, "In the last days, we're going to see this and this," and we see this and this. How do he know that kind of thing? And, you, and, and after you see over and over and over again all these things taking place that fit with what the scripture says, not only has happened in the past, the prophecies already fulfilled, but the ones being fulfilled right now. Sooner or later, you have to say, "Look, there is a God not only who exists, but He knows the future and is in control of the future." And so once you understand that, once you to get over that hump, let me tell you, it, it's amazing. It really freed me up. And so, but the bottom line is you need to fill in the blank in your own life. If someone would ask you today, you don't have to answer out loud, what is your greatest weakness? You have to understand what it is because we all have them. Now, you confess that to the Lord. I had to confess that, Lord, I'm weak in faith. I don't know, you know, I, I, I want to believe you're there, but I don't know if I'm just talking to the ceiling. But what happened was, he wants to make it your greatest strength, and that way you can give glory to him, because it certainly wasn't you doing it. And so, but he tempts us. He He tempts us in the sense that he tells us, basically, uh, there's, puts doubt in our minds. So you really believe this? Has God really said, you know, He he's, he's not original at all. It's the first thing he tempted Eve with. Did God really say, Genesis chapter 3? So he still does that today. Has God really said? Yeah, well, he has said. And the evidence is there beyond any shadow of a doubt if anyone is interested in finding out what the evidence is. So bottom line is this. You're out there. You're trying to live a Christian life. But there's an enemy that you and I have that doesn't want you to live that life. And he's trying to do everything he can to um, keep us from doing it. Today we've talked about some of his methods, what he tries to do to keep us off the straight and narrow, and what each of us need to do is examine what we've said and say, all right, hmm, which area am I weak in? What do I need to change here? What is he, how's he getting to me? Or say, or the light bulb comes on. Oh, that's what. That's why this is happening. It's the enemy trying to keep me from walking the straight and narrow. Once we understand this, once we know that this is an attack of the enemy to keep us from being the type of person God would want us to be, we can deal with it, and we can be victorious in Jesus Christ. But first of all, we have to know, again, know his methods. The Bible says we are not ignorant of those. Well, today we've talked about a number of them. So as we leave today and think about it, I want you to, you know, really think in your heart of hearts. What do I need to work on? What do I need to be careful? What area of my life do I've got to watch so I can be that faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have given us a roadmap of not only how to live this life, but also of the pitfalls that are there from the adversary who would try and keep us off the straight and narrow. Lord, as we know his methods, getting us to doubt, getting us, you know, to um, uh, bullying us, to make us intimidated by who he is, to get us to think evil thoughts, or even do evil by not doing that which is right, I pray for each and every one of us, that as we look at these things... We will understand this is coming from the pit of hell and we need to do something about it by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and walking with him. Thank you you've given us the the roadmap, the the textbook, Lord, as it were, the framework of how to live this life. Help us by your grace, live it, and be that person you'd have us to be. And we thank you for it so much. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Right. God bless you guys.